Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Greetings, comrades, and welcome to the Eastern Border. This time, again, straight from the Eastern Border. As you know, I've uh, moved to Lodz, and I've been spending some time gathering more stories and researching more facts for the show. This time, I want to talk about all the crazy little facets of life and weird stories that I've picked up as my work as journalist here, and what I've picked up on the side while doing all this Eastern Border Soviet era research. Because... For one, this is our Independence Day when I'm recording, 18th of November. And two, I have a lot of stuff that probably wouldn't go anywhere else, really, in my episodes. But I think that this small border town of Ludza, which is about 20 kilometers from the Russian border, is full with tiny little weirdnesses and crazy stories. So, this is interesting because this place where we are in now, where I'm broadcasting this from... It wasn't even the same province as the rest of Latvia in the Russian Empire. So it has its own culture. Latigalia was a part of the Vitebsk governorship. And it's a very specific region with its own traditions and customs. In 1918, these guys from from here, they had a congress called Latigalian Congress. And then they voted to join the rest of Latvia. Because Latigalia is somewhere between Lithuania and Latvia ethnically even though all of them speak Latvian, because Latvian language as such has grown out of Latigalian, in a way. Latigalian is the older version of it, and uh, if you go to Vilnius, for example, then you would notice that Latigalians are the uh, only Baltic tribe that Lithuanians think they have no relation to, even though culturally uh, this part of Latvia, this Latigalian region, was mostly controlled by Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth for a long time. Then it was in the Russian Empire, but it still was in this Vitebsk governorship. Because, again, cultural differences. And even though, well, other parts of Latvia, like the northern parts, the Livonian parts, are mostly Lutheran, as they were conquered also by the Swedes, this part over here, it's very Catholic and Russian Orthodox. And we have a lot of old believers, if you remember my old believers episode, 
So this is our own version of uh, the very weird specific region, kind of like Bavaria in Germany or Texas in the United States, even tiny little Latvia has Latigalia, all this region, and specifically my parts of it, the Ludza, the Rezekne parts, well, Rezekne is a bit more inland, but Ludza is directly close to the Russian border, basically the oldest town in Latvia is, is that as well, and it's kind of this border town where um, traditionally all the traders who would come from the east, from Russia or Belarus, would just go through and to their trade. This also used to be the Jewish capital of Latvia with the highest percentage of Jews. Due to the persecutions in the Russian Empire against Jews, people really escaped to, well, the Baltic lands, the Vitebsk, Gubern, and Livonia, and all those places. And, well, this is the place where they kind of stayed, because this was the first place over the border. So that's a bit of a historical going back to this, these events to explain why this region is so, well, specific. But, yeah... Here, a lot of people still keep up to a lot of soviet things, and they have a lot of Soviet studies, but there are also things happening here which kind of compete with, say, Florida-Man. Yeah, because a lot of things are very different, not only from the rest of the Western world, not only from the rest of the EU, but, well, from other parts of Latvia tend to sometimes look at Latigalia and ask, well, what is going on there? And, well, being an investigative journalist that I am, well, obviously, when I'm going out of my way to research all the Soviet-y stuff, then um, I stumble upon studies and weird events that just blow my mind sometimes, and sometimes they're funny, and sometimes they're just so bizarre and now and then sad that I don't even know. I kind of want to talk about them, but I can't put them in normal episodes. So, well, this episode is all about the bizarre stories from the eastern border, from the really, really eastern border here. But yeah, this this region, like I told you, is, well, super ultra-religious. Super Catholic. Super seriously ultra-Catholic. The people here, for the most part, that I've spoken to are the kinds of people who would state that the current Pope is not Catholic enough for them. And they're also kind of a weird, super rural, aggressive type, too, now and then. For example, uh, two studies about that, because we have a Lutheran church here as well. It's a super tiny congregation, and the Lutheran church doesn't even have a bell tower or anything like that, because no one of the local artisans would build that tower for them or, or do any bells to the Lutheran church or, or work on it, because they were super afraid that you shouldn't be working for those Lutheran heretics. Meanwhile, when they were building the Catholic Church, uh, the local craftsmen, because, you know, we, we like our cool churches to have, like, handcrafted wooden chairs in them and all that stuff were traditional in that way. Well, uh, the local craftsmen basically held a contest where about, like, 50 to 60 of these people participated to basically have the rights to work on this Catholic Church for free. Meanwhile, the Lutheran Church got kind of uh, kind of left out there, because everyone here is either mega-Catholic or super-Orthodox. And then, well, this happened literally last month, um, we had some nice little incident involving Jehovah's Witnesses. Oh boy, yeah, this is gonna be a bit strange, but uh, no one really understood what they were looking for here. Now, first, uh, a legal disclaimer here. I am not claiming that all of Jehovah's Witnesses are bad people, or that, you know, they tend to be annoying sometimes if they go door-to-door and stuff, but not all of them are bad people, and I've, I've worked together in my past 
job when I fixed telephones and computers with some Jehovah's Witnesses who had escaped from Russia, where they're officially terrorists, and, well, they're declared terrorists in Russia, and sometimes they tend to be, like, really nice and good people, even though I don't agree with their religious views, but doesn't mean that I condone violence towards them in any way or form, I rather tolerate them, and I think, well, they, they can be very nice people, too. Now, that's, that comes off as condescending, I know, but uh, this is important in this case, because uh, this is, is a story about how weird and rash people can get over here, because even though I personally don't agree to them in every possible point, I don't want to condone any violence here, but this is exactly what happened, because, yeah, for one, Latvians are uh, very introverted people. I'm kind of a exception here, and so was my editor and a couple of friends, but for the most part, in Latvia, we're very, very private. Religion is a very private thing. We don't evangelize, we don't talk to other people in the streets. It would be considered super rude if, for example, you're, you're the person who's, like, selling you something in the store would just start up a conversation, or if you're standing in a queue for anything in a bank or in a store, talk to each other in that situation is already considered very impolite. Same with any public shows of affection or anything, we, we just like to keep to ourselves a lot. So, when, um, when the 90s hit, and when, we, when Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons appeared here, people already who are very introverted and mistrustful to each other due to our history, yeah, they, they have a hard time here in these parts. And specifically, in Latgale, in this Latgalia region, it is even worse because everyone, like I said, they even look at Lutherans and standard Protestants as being somewhat heretical and they kind of view everyone who's not Catholic or Russian Orthodox with uh, suspicion. So I don't know how that happened because for the first time ever, I saw some Jehovah's Witnesses here in Ludza and I was quite surprised. Well, they stood around and gave their pamphlets in the market square and, well, people just looked at them a bit weird. I don't know if they even managed to give out those pamphlets, because, well, I think personally those Jehovah's Witnesses were sent here as a bit of a punishment. But Ludza, at least, it's a town. It's not a completely tiny village. It's the closest town to the Eastern Border, but it's not so tiny as to get away with, like, completely uncivilized stuff. But then these Jehovah's Witnesses were apparently sent by their Watchtower Society or whomever organizes them. And I firmly believe it was some sort of punishment, an internal one. They were sent to Gajeva, out of all places, which is a super tiny village, even closer to the Russian border, to uh, evangelize there. And, uh, well, if you go out there, it's basically going to a super, super religious, in a bad sense of the word, super mega conservative place where people are already prone to violence towards each other. The Latigalians have a bit of reputations of being slightly rowdy. <laughs> So they went there, and they started evangelizing in already an introverted nation, and already all those, like, connotations that I've given to you. They started evangelizing in Gajeva. And I was sent there from my newspaper to investigate this afterwards, because, well, poor Jehovah's Witnesses, those two people, they, um, they went to Gajeva, and, uh, well, last that we heard of them, it was that they were then taken by the ambulance to the closest hospital, their ribs were broken and their faces were beaten up, and the car that they were using, yeah, that was uh, basically scrap metal at this point. The official police statement was that it was burnt and damaged beyond repair. I spoke with the, the local priest there, you know, on the guy of a little congregation thing, and he, of the record, told me, because this is not going in my Latvian show, this is just for you guys, he personally told me that, yeah, well, you know, violence is bad, but you know how people can get over in these parts. 
and that those poor souls should be very thankful that they didn't try to proselytize to old believer community because then they wouldn't even come out of that swamp. Now, I can't really relay the legality and um, the accuracy of that statement because I doubt that the old believer people are violent at all. I haven't seen them here. I know that they live here, and a lot of them, but they live in their tight-knit communities here, kind of like Amish-like, avoiding the rest of society, uh, reading the old texts. But yeah, this was... This is a weird case. This is the first case in my life where I had to do a reporting on this. But then the tragic part hit because our cops decided to basically put the investigation of this incident in the same pile with the UFO sightings and Bigfoot sightings in the region of Ladgal, stating that we will investigate this uh, someday. It's in process. We're gonna we're gonna work on this. Yeah, and that was kind of sad, but. I had to kind of relinquish my own articles, too, because then those very cops came and said that, dude, you know, we don't approve of these guys and we'll deal with them privately, but let's not open any official stuff here. Let's just, you know, the Jehovah's Witnesses were fine, and, and in the end, they just had some ribs broken. They'll be fine, and basically, I was nicely informed that if I don't run the article, then the local cops will just deal with this in a more or less a private manner. So, yeah, such things sometimes happen, and it is a bit crazy to think about how this whole thing happens, but um, but this study also kind of reminds me of the first story ever that I uh, wrote here as a journalist in the newspaper, because like I said, Ludza is a border town, and when I started working here a while ago, I think I've told this story in one of my super early episodes, but I'm not sure, so this happened in my first day here as a journalist, because Ludza and Latigali region in general is a bit of a rowdy and quite violent place, especially when alcohol is involved, because a lot of people to brew moonshine in these parts. We have even a museum for our Latigalian moonshine. So during the first day of my work here as a journalist, that was like three years ago, something similar happened, but uh, in a bit more bizarre way. Luda is slowly expanding, and it's basically somewhat suburban with a more or less industrial center. So on the outskirts of the town, a kind of a new street was built with houses there. Uh, but the problem is that we are surrounded by lakes, and this is a very moist, swampy place. So we have those melioration ditches, you know, the ones that dry the place up a bit. And apparently the the newsroom was called, and we got a report that in one of the outskirts of Ludza, a person complained that their neighbor has been using the melioration ditch as their own sewage system. Basically, they, uh, as houses out there, they don't have all the plumbing already, so they have to use those dry bio-bathrooms, and one of the people was complaining that instead of using those sanitation pits, his neighbor had been just using the melioration ditch as one. So I was, well, first day from university, first day in the job. As a young, aspiring journalist, a couple of years ago, I was sent to investigate. So I went there, and turns out that it was a conflict between two border guards, because, well, this is the border region with Russia, and I went to the person who complained and took some pictures and interviewed him, and then I went out to look at the melioration they should take pictures of, well, this so-called bathroom. But I couldn't even get there when the person from the other house, who was the person that this complaint was, like, told about us, right, uh, this other person just runs out of his own house, starts screaming that it's all lies, and that the person who had called the newsroom actually had been stealing governmental supplies from the border garden. He's stealing basically governmental uh, gasoline from service cars to run on his own car. A lot of screaming ensued. Then the first person who called nonchalantly pulls out 
his service gun and shoots uh, a couple of bullets through a tractor that was used to farm land just, you know, using his gun. The other guy, whose tractor now has been damaged, quickly calls up some of his buddies, a couple of cars arrive, and they literally put torch to the first guy's barn, where uh, he kept his firewood and stuff. The other guy then, literally, because he doesn't want to get into any contacts with the authorities as well, he calls up his own people. Because of this minor conflict, there are now nine cars in, in the yard. Some people are putting out a fire, others are involved in yelling at each other. And then some sticks arrive and they start, like, fighting even. That gets broken out and, and there's, like, fire and then there's, like, guns have been pulled out and, and a car has been shot through the windows and everyone's yelling. And I'm just standing there with my phone and my camera and, and trying to make a study out of it. And everyone just keeps yelling at me to take a good picture of those other scumbags who escalated this conflict and to make sure that I poured about everything. I ended up well, at that point, being scared out of my pants, promising that I would do so. However, I ended up just giving all the information to the police and not posting anything, because this is a small town with about 8,000 people living in it, and I still have to work in it. And, uh, I rather not get, you know, beaten up myself and get into trouble with crazy people who use guns to shoot other people's property and then start fires. So, that's just kind of crazy but i think i think the conflict was kind of everyone just got fined for something no one got in, thrown into prison because well the law enforcement in such cases where no one gets seriously damaged is quite lax in these cases this is one of these weird events where you have to understand that weird stuff happens and specifically when there's full moon out if you work in newsroom then you know that full moon and the effects of that seriously exists and boy this is uh kind of crazy. And one of the studies about the full moon calls is when, again last year, and now again in the 18th of November, Independence Day, full moon was quite close. And there are some even weirder studies that you have to experience when being a journalist in the, such a small town place. And like I said, one of these studies is related to our Independence Day, 18th of November, because I think two years ago, yeah, I, th I think it was 2017, uh, a person called during this new moon phase, and he seriously complained about the evil work of the police, because, as in most countries in Europe, you have to display your country's flag publicly if you own a private house and all the important governmental celebrations, such as our Independence Day, for one. And this person called and complained that the cops have given him a fine for he wanted to publicly display the Russian flag in the 18th of November, which is Latvian Independence Day, and while well, Luda is Latvia. And the worst part is that he complained about the cops infringing on his personal rights by not allowing him to publicly display the Russian flag attached to his home. He didn't even have a proper flagpole, so it was basically just a... Uh, he had a Russian flag, he had stitched it up on a broomstick in their Independence Day in Latvia, and he attached that to his house in the place of the Latvian flag, because, as he put it, he liked that country way better than this one. And this is normal, I suppose, because in a tiny border town full with weirdos like this one, and people living in extremely rural areas while still under heavy Soviet influence, weird stuff happens too. Another call that my colleagues received was someone calls our local newsroom and states that, well, a lady calls and says, <clears throat> quote, You have to help me. There are no orange bras in Ludza. 
you should truly fix this important issue because I need an orange-colored bra and it's very urgent and something should be done. The newspaper should write an article about how uh, the consumer's rights are being infringed. And then everyone just is stunned and, well, tries to understand, well, which one of our stores did not run this, like, orange bra thing, apparently. And then she continued, because apparently the troubles existed not only with bras, but also with food, because she couldn't get the very specific type of oranges that she also wanted. She was some sort of orange-obsessed lady. Well, we kind of explained to her that it's not kind of our job to write studies about local stores not wanting to run pieces of clothing in specific colors, but then it got kind of worse. And this is the craziest one, because if you think orange bras and people complaining about the lack thereof to the newspapers is kind of silly, then I was part of this conversation because we um, recently got a very serious call from a neighboring village near Z. Like, Ludza is a town surrounded by tiny villages, and um, we got a serious complaint told to us in about 30 minutes crusading detail, which I'm not going to go over there, is that um, every time that this lady left her home, this is real, guys. This is very real, comrades. <clears throat> Some foul creatures who are the true enemies of the people, honest folks living in Ludza, arrive at her home and eat up all of her butter. I'm serious. She blamed communist dwarves for eating up all of her butter as soon as she left her home to go out to do her field work or to go anywhere. That is why she forced her husband to always stay at home when she wanted to leave anywhere to guard against these communist dwarves with his shotgun. No, I'm not making this up. Evil communist dwarves, the true enemies of the people, eat up all of her butter. And she was very, very afraid that they might steal her cow too one day. Because what if they want to make their own butter? Things like this, well, apparently happen. And if I have any journalists listening, if you work in a regional newspaper, maybe maybe you have your own weird studies. But the countryside tends to be crazy everywhere. Because, well, uh, when I was in high school, for example, which is in kind of more central parts of Latvia, but still in a small town, we, um, we had this person, um, his surname was Mikolons, Jans Mikolons, and uh, he was just, so to speak, dumb. Like, seriously dumb. He was one of those people who clearly, last time I saw him, when I went to one of my school, you know, annual reunion meetings, he was sitting in the bus stop as I exited and, and was celebrating with a lot of vodka his last stint with the police and was being very happy that uh, he only got a two-year suspended sentence for stealing, basically, uh, wiring and, and cables which were like electricity cables, he had stolen two kilometers worth of cables and then sold them to uh, a scrapyard. And for that, he was arrested and only got two years suspended. So obviously he went back home to his hometown and then he was spending some time celebrating that with his friends. You have to kind of understand the fact that my dad back then used to teach um, geography at the high school there where this young fellow, a couple of years younger than me at the time, was studying. And so... And I had to help him back then do the tests and to uh, array them. 
Back then, you know, you have those, you know, in Europe we have these blank maps where you have to write in European countries and their capitals. I'm pretty sure, like, it's something similar happens with states in the United States, so, you know, people would remember where, what all the countries are named of and what um, kind of their capitals are. A European map is pretty simple if you study it, because most people can understand, like, the bigger countries here. The Balkans are real trouble, though, because all the Bosnia-Herzegovina and, and Serbia and all, all, the, all those parts of the world shift around, and then you have Kosovo emerging. But you can point them on the map uh, pretty easily, but I do believe that all of my listeners could, say, point at Germany at the map, or UK, or, or, or Spain, or Portugal, you know, the bigger countries. And Iceland, man, it's like, it's over there, it's the, the island up there. But, um, not Mr. Mikolons in his ninth grade, which was the final exam, because in Latvia we have the school system that goes for nine years, which is like the middle school, and then you, then you move on to the high school thing. And I think I still have his final graduation test of geography somewhere in my place, because you have to finish nine grades mandatory by law here, which basically means that you can't fail. If you fail in your ninth grade exams, you have to redo the ninth year again until you finish them, because you can't just quit school. Before that, it's illegal. So, my dad, being his teacher, literally had to cheat on his test and forge one up so that this poor sod could finish his school. Because apparently, the map that he had fooled, this blank map with European states and capitals, it had three Spains on it. None of which were in the real Spain. One of them was in Germany. In the place of the UK, and this I remember clearly, Frankfurt and Stockholm was written there. And I, we really couldn't understand which one of these was even intended to be the state and which one was intended to be the capital. And Frankfurt is not even the capital of anything. It's just one of the largest places of you know, air travel. It's one of the hub cities in Europe, but we didn't know that. France was not in the right place. I think, I think France was UK at that time, and um, Norway and Sweden were left totally empty, but Finland was Denmark. The craziest part happened when we looked at Iceland, and there was just a single word written on it. Mausoleum. I have no idea how the brain processes work, but, well, this is what happens when people kind of um, don't take that education seriously. And we tried. We really tried. It's just that this person had no interest in uh, learning anything at all. Well, that was a couple of years ago, but I, I really hope that uh, something has changed at this point. But yeah, these are kind of those studies of sad and crazy people, but there is more bizarre and fun stuff which just happened to be, happened to caught my attention. Now I'm going to talk to you about uh, an army veteran, because this is the last study, one of those crazy ones that I've picked up. Turns out that you can be technically a veteran in the army here, while not actually doing anything, and he was a sergeant, and he was an IT guy, and... Uh, I went to the local municipality uh, to, you know, dig up some Soviet materials and ask for some permissions, and I, I met Tom's and the IT guy here, and he told me how he actually still gets some pension for being in the military, ex-military, even though he was literally in the barracks for three days, and, well, that's about it, even though he was honorably discharged as a sergeant. Things tend to get even more bizarre from there. 90s up to early 2000s. Well, they also were just as a weird place as it sometimes is now. Hey guys, Annette here. 
Glad to have you with us for a new episode of The Eastern Border. As always, a big thank you to our Patreons. If you're not a Patreon and would like to become one, head over to patreon.com slash theeasternborder to find out how you too can support our show. To keep up to date with all things Eastern Border, follow us on Facebook and Twitter. And don't hesitate to send us a message with your comments and questions. That's it for now. Thank you for listening and see you online. This podcast brought to you by RussianVoiceOvers.eu. Enjoy. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. And this story also requires a bit of introduction. You see, Latvia is um, super small, and there are regulations about, you know, everything here still, and there are certain rules that, that you have to oblige by. And back in the late 90s, early 2000s, before we joined the EU, it wasn't the chaos of the utterly early 90s where there were, like, gangs everywhere, but it was still pretty unregulated mess of a place where we were just, you know, getting it in order understanding how capitalism works it was we had moved out of the socialism and all the resulting chaos and we were taking our first baby steps into how to organize a country and how to run a proper governmental system on our own and basically we literally had no schools and places of higher education where you could become a clerk or administrative official if you wanted to work say for the government and you know become a clerk or work in some of these programs there was no such place this is slowly happening today we have some colleges for that now but yeah back in the day there were no such things there were no kind of uh, schools for people who want to work for the government but don't know how really and back then we had a lack of uh, technical uh, employees because well late 90s early 2000s is when internet arrived and we started to digitalize everything we had a massive lack of people who were it specialists or programmers back then, and they didn't want to work for the state because our state was extremely poor back then, and it didn't pay at all. So, we really needed some IT guys to work around at the state facilities to do some programming or whatever. And as is the governmental thing at the time, like I said, they couldn't offer cash directly for these jobs. So, they had to figure out a way how to get those programmers to work for the state, and how to get them working. So they could offer only some interesting projects as well, you know, stable, massive projects, such as, for example, the, our, our census system had to be, well, created uh, and digitalized. So, you know, if you worked on that, it would be considered interesting for new programmers and that would offer them stability, even though it didn't pay as much. So those people, they basically picked up students from colleges straight up. And most of the lead guys who ran all this early system of digitalization, they were basically college dropouts, because at that time, your uh, university of, could only teach you 
so much, and then you had to work because you were in super high demand. Because, you know, you go to your college, you learn the basics, but then you understand that, well, there's only so much that you can learn about the IT while studying uh, programming or all this IT stuff back here in Latvia in that time. The problem was, at the time, you also would be called into the army if you were not a student and if you were younger than 27, 2005 or 2007. Sometime at that point is when that ended, when we moved away from conscription. But back then, uh, early 2000s, late 90s, still conscription going on. So those college dropouts who are in high demand by the government, the government tries to get them in to work for them. They try to offer some benefits, and they know they get their salaries too. But the government still has to compete with other governmental agencies, such as the army, that basically if you drop out from college and start working, and you're like 26, 25, or some such, the hero of the study to them, so at that point was 21, uh, they would just, you know, conscript you and send you to the army. Which is quite bad, because if you go to the army for two years at a time, then, uh, well, you can't really work for the government, which... The same government that the army is running on, but they run, they're under two different ministries and there are different rules. And like I said, there are regulations and the law must be obeyed and no one knows how to deal with this whole mess. And then, then the bizarro law system comes in. And another thing, currently, one of the examples of how this weird system worked was the fact that, uh, well, right now we have a special type of interior ministry service, uh, which are like prison guards, you know, or I don't know how it's uh, properly called, but, well, basically they're tied to the police institution, right? Back then, it was the army people, these conscripts, who used to serve as prison guards. This is kind of a, some sort of double overlap of businesses, because even though the interior ministry ran the prison system, they used the army, which was under the Ministry of Defense, they used those conscripts to basically be prison guards. And that was one of the examples how these systems overlapped, and how all this double mess with crazy bureaucracy when we didn't know how to do this actually happened. And we also had the massive amounts of paperwork, that's why we needed to work on this digitalization. So, that's why the study is allowed to happen, because we need IT guys for digitalization, so that our government wouldn't need such bureaucracy in double-dealing systems, yet we can't have it because the double-dealing systems are obscuring it. It's massive amounts of red tape and, and all this stuff. So Tuoms dropped out of college because he was hired by a kind of this public census company. Previously, he had uh, also worked in the local police newspaper for very small monies, working there as kind of the typesetter guy, the designer, who just basically put the newspaper together while he was in college. But then he gets offered better monies because the Ministry of Interior, again, has decided that, yeah, we need this cool new census system set up. It's a pseudo-private company, which has been contracted by the Interior Ministry, which are then using them to build the census system. So Tuoms leaves the college to get recruited there. So what happens is that the government decides, so that Tuoms would agree to work there, they say that, hey, Check this out, dude. If you're going to quit college and come work with us, and then, you know, we could pay you, but then the army will get you. So how about we contact the army, sign you up for the army already, and say that you are working under this prison guard department for us, so that you would count as if you would be in the army, yet we would pay you 
both the army salary and our own salary and you would avoid going into actual army but you would also gain benefits from the army because if you were in the army and if you served there well and became an officer you get like extra payments you get like uh, food and clothing and uh, you could get an apartment later on too if you stayed as an officer basically it's a huge scam created by our bureaucrats to have those IT guys come and work there just quitting their colleges because they became better experts by, you know, working on the job, and at the same time avoid the army, but avoid the army by being in the army. I know it's a bit crazy to put this all in perspective, but that's kind of how the... Basically, bureaucrats trying to cheat other bureaucrats to save everyone from bureaucracy. It's all crazy. So, basically, this guy would get called into an army and would have to switch away to this uh, other work, but not do that. But, you know, there is bureaucracy and, and law and stuff, and laws and regulations have to be obeyed, and there has to be some sort of veneer of things, and you still would have to give the oath of service to the country, but, you know, if some hippie guys who are basically, uh, well, IT people who have nothing to do actually with the army, they're just there on paper so that they could avoid being in the army, you got that gist, right? Well, these people usually have beards and long hair and everything, but, you know, if they would give the oath of service, because you have to do the formalities, uh, that would break the system. That would be, like, not the real army thing. And there's also, like, two parts while being a conscript in the army. Back then, you had to spend, like, six months in a boot camp where they taught you the basic stuff, uh, the regimented life, and basic training, and then there was the main army part where you would go and serve in places. So, because of these regulations, as everything is regimented, these programmers who were hired by this outsourced company due to the needs of the other ministry who were like struggling with the army guys because our laws were messed off they still had to go to this basic training they didn't go to actual boot camp though because due to people knowing other people these guys were sent to a uh, <clears throat> private boot camp for just you know the three of them they uh, didn't really have to do anything physical they basically had to read the reglement and do some written tests, and they uh, were assigned to uh, a body of one of the owners of this pseudo-private company, who happened to be a colonel, Colonel Latvian Army. And at that point, Latvian Army had not transferred to the NATO model yet, but it wasn't Soviet Army anymore, it was somewhere in between, they were using rules from the Soviet Army and slowly introducing the NATO rules, you know, everything is regulated in the Army after all. And uh, as Tom's told me, well, every time we uh, went there to kind of, you know, they had to go there twice a week and talk about how the reglement works and the basic rules of, of military, they didn't know anything at all. They just basically responded something and the colonel was wise enough to understand how this whole system and how all this internal bureaucracy worked and what they were supposed to do, not serving in the army, so that he basically signed off their papers and just let them go. But as Storms reported to me, I was told that this colonel for some reason had uh, little miniatures on his table, little army people, you know, like Warhammer or historical wargaming. He had wargaming figurines on his work table in his uh, bureau and apparently well, he had moved them around. He apparently used to play with them now and then, so he was a quite a decent person. So these guys technically counted as being in the army, did their stuff, but uh, Tuoms still had to basically finish his old job, which is directly in the Ministry of Interior, because, like I said, he worked as a designer and a small-time programmer for this newspaper for the police. He was basically wisely and internally through bureaucracy and, and necessity transferred within the Ministry of Interior, but at the time, due to the paperwork, he also had to be in the army, so 
but yeah, still, once per month, they had to go to uh, the, their army base to pick up their salaries, because back then we didn't have, like, electronic bank cards. They arrived at about year 2004, and we're talking about the year 2002 or something here. And once a month, so they had to put on their uniform, pretend that they're in the army, and they had to go and grab their salaries. But the army people were, like, you know, given rations every month, and some cigarettes were included in those, too. So when Tuoms went to grab those, you know, he gets his salary from the army, which is his second salary, because even the conscripts were paid a little bit. Back then, salaries were, like, super tiny, because uh, for his work in the IT, he got, like, 70 lats, and the army paid 7 lats and 20 cents. Because, you know, money was way more valuable back then, and, and we didn't have euros, so it was considered an okay, okay salary, you could live for that. But he had to go up there and pick it up physically, because again, regulations, and he has to at least pretend, even though he's working for Mundan Street, that he's actually, you know, in the army. And at the same time, as he was transferring to this new job, doing all this army thing, and, and getting in the ropes, he still had to work off his last month in the old police newspaper. Back then, it wasn't uncommon for people to do some barter between the offices for advertisement because, you know, cash, like I said, very low. People were basically, offices were trading advertisements and various services using barter, which is totally legal because it's untaxable, but people still did that due to aforementioned shortage of money. So, as it's early 2000s, the police newspaper runs an ad for a pager company, and everyone in the editorial just gets pagers semi-legally. It wasn't being able to run past by the bureaucracy and by the, by the accounting, but no one else enforced these rules. No one really went after the people who had these pagers. That had happened before, but in his last month, where Mr. Tuoms has to basically quit his old job, move to the new one, and deal with all this bureaucracy, a new editor uh, appears in the this police newspaper, and he's a very highly letter-of-the-law type of person, very strict one, and uh, he basically tries to confiscate all the pagers from the people working there, because back then pagers were the number one means of communication. People still use them uh, at some extreme professions, but back then we had no cell phones, there were only pagers. And Tuoms made a fatal mistake here. Well, not fatal, but a massive mistake, because, you know, seeing as he's leaving his job, he's transferring to the new one, better paying one, seeing as he's done all this stuff through Ministry of Interior that he's working on, well, he, and being 21, quite young at the time, he decides to tell his new editor, who's a real kind of mean person who tries to do everything by the rules, he basically tells him that, hey, come on, we got these in a very bizarre way, and I know you want them just for this reason, but uh, no, not gonna give you my pager. He kinda backs off and, and, and pisses off his old editor at his old place where he's leaving anyways, but some people are vengeful. So, he leaves his job at this called police newspaper, goes to work for this census system, but there's kind of a week in between, because back then, again, he has to work on digitalizing this stuff because the papers have to travel physically back then. And in the meantime, the date comes in where he has to go to get his salary from the army base because of these regulations. So he goes to get his army salary, but no one in the army part where he was in the barracks, the section, hasn't received the papers that he's actually working in the IT over there for the Ministry of Interior. They've only received papers that he's no longer working in this newspaper. So our IT guy, Tuoms, goes there and as he receives his 7 lats and 20 centimes, like he said, one of the most terrifying texts ever written. <clears throat> Soldier Blooms, your barrack is on the third floor. So, for the next three days, brave soldier Blooms lived in the barracks. The problem was that he had arrived there with uh, quite a long hair and fully bearded. He arrived up there 
His head was shaved clean off. He was lended, because uh, he was supposed to be given this thing. He didn't take it because he never thought he needed it. He was given a uh, one-time-use razor and was given two and a half minutes to shave his beard. And when he tried to complain, he said, he was informed that, oh, no, no, we haven't received any papers whatsoever. It was just crazy. And for some reason, the Ministry of Interior had put him into the sporting squad. You know, the sporting squad is the squad where... Uh, People who work for the army, you know, the, they are the guys who run a lot and who are like the super buff dudes who basically work for the promotional materials and, you know, they are specifically trained to be the PR guys, you know, so that people would join the army more and so that people volunteer to basically provide the image of the perfect military person. So, Mr. Blooms was, for the next three days, without even being able to call anyone and tell them that he's there, he was, uh, this has a happy ending, he was basically with this sporting squad, which had some privileges, but they also had to really do uh, some morning exercises because in the army, in the mornings, everyone else ran three kilometers, which is about two miles. Sports guys, they ran for eight kilometers, which is like about five miles. To be joined with them was considered a punishment if you had to do the morning exercise with the sports squad. In the day two, because this is a complete mess, and this guy has, has to go through all sorts of weird physical stuff that he hasn't been accustomed to, he managed to basically run and borrow a phone from someone from kind of one of these offices and he called up the guy who was responsible for getting him into his new IT job for the government as well and he called him and the person responds that oh yeah yeah no yeah you you just wait for a couple of days i'm in helsinki for a conference you just wait a bit you know live with the sports squad the military barracks will do you some good but the problem is, the local guy who lives in the barracks... Oh yeah, and by the way, his title was sergeant at this point, which is just bizarre, but... Uh, the guy who actually runs the sports squad, the lieutenant there... He wanted Tuoms off, and the other guy too, apparently, but he went to some other part. He also ran into this trouble. He also wanted the guy off because everyone knew that this was just a trick to basically get IT guys to work for the government, but there are still regulations, and these people who work in the army, people who serve in the army, they're mostly serious about their stuff, and if they're basically being sent some bureaucrat who's not supposed to be there, and if you have to do some combat shield training, and if you have to do all these things, and if this one guy obviously can't do any of the army stuff, uh, and there's competition between various squads, you know, so if that guy's bringing your squad down, you want to get him off. So... For three days, Mr. Tuoms endured this whole situation while being uh, hazed a bit and was not supposed to be there. But after three days, after one of these runs, yeah, he luckily got a nice call stating that, uh, yeah, you know, Mr. Soldier Blooms, you have a new uh, assignment. So then he was basically kicked out with his stuff from the barracks. And even though he still counted for the army for the next three years, being a sergeant, yeah, then he got to go home and had to explain to his uh, relatives why his face is all red, because if you're given quite blunt razor to basically cut a huge beard off in two minutes, then you're gonna cut yourself, and if you basically lose all your hair, then that's not a fun thing either. The fun story is that apparently at that time they had candy with bromium in it, which apparently was at that point in the army kitchen so that you wouldn't have any sexual desires. That's kind of the last little tidbit. But yeah... After these nice little three days of running around and being an IT guy who wasn't supposed to be there because of the bureaucracy, well, he at least, you know, could say that he was in the army for just a bit. Even though officially and formally he served up until he finished the project and up until all this was over. But that's a weird story about how, well, he ended up working for the government being the IT guy 
and yet technically is one of the scrappiest, worst, and most bizarre army veterans that, well, you could probably see. I hope this study made sense, because uh, I literally had to write it down on the notes, and if you have any more questions, please let us know, but that just shows that crazy bureaucracy did not just stop the Soviet Union, and that all sorts of very bizarre and strange people tend to live up in these parts. So yeah, happy Latvian Independence Day, people, and um, see you next time, when we're getting back to sadder and more thought-provoking topics than this fun one. До свидания, товарищи! Thank you for listening to The Eastern Border. If you have any comments or specific details you'd like to know, you're welcome to leave it in the comment section on our site, theeasternborder.lv, and we'll rummage even to the western border to find you an answer. Like this podcast? Subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or on our RSS feed. Happiness is mandatory. Good reviews and donations feed the farmers of our kolkhoz in the great motherland. The Eastern Border salutes you. This podcast is part of the Dark Myths Collective. Visit darkmyths.org to discover more shows like this one. The darkness awaits. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.